Good morning. Welcome to church. It's good to see you guys. Hey, well, is there any excitement out there? All right, there we go. There we go, you guys. Um, Sundays is such a great time to hit the pause button on life. You know, normally we're just running around, running errands, getting things done, going off to class, taking tests, putting the kids down. I mean, we come together on Sunday to hit that pause button and look beneath the hood of our soul, create a little space to do a soul check. And I hope this morning you get a chance to connect, not just with your soul, but the maker of your soul, Jesus Christ. And I hope that as we look at this amazing story of Jesus encountering this woman, where he introduces her to a God so much bigger than anything we, she imagined, my hope and prayer is that this morning you'll have the same experience. And to get you kind of into the mode of what's happening between Jesus and this woman, so you can kind of translate into modern times, I want to share a story with you. And in 1984, there was a police officer who walked into a diner, and uh, at the end of his meal, he went to the waitress, I'll give you a choice. You can have the tip, or you can take half the earnings that I make on this lottery ticket if I win. What do you want? So we're going to watch a clip from a movie because they actually turned this real-life moment into a movie. It's the moment where the police officer comes to tell the waitress what they won on that lottery ticket. And I want to show it to you because I think it frames for us this moment that Jesus has with this woman by a well. Let's go to the clip and... Uh, Sweet, honey. Wait. Yeah. What? About our little agreement. Huh? Double the tip or half of what I won in the lottery. That agreement. How about we make it your choice? Door number one, double the tip. Door number two, half of what I won in the lottery. My choice. Okay. <clears throat> Whatever. I'll take door number two. I'll take half of the lottery. Pay up. You're sure? Positive. I was hoping you'd say that. I'll bet you were. Better luck next time, right? Oh, actually, we were, uh, <laughs> we were pretty lucky. Oh, really? Did you win something? We won something. All right. What? We won something? What did we win? Four million dollars. <laughs> Why are you doing this? What? This sick joke. No, it's not a joke. This is not a joke. No. No. What you're telling me, what you're saying to me, that you, you really... What, you think I'd make this up? Yes, yes, I do. I'm not. We won. The lottery. The, the New York State, the lottery lottery, the actual lottery, New York State lottery, $4 million. Yes, $4 million is our share. Happened last night. Well, it would have been more, except a, a bowling team from Albany called in. They took about $9 million out of the pot, but we won. And you're telling me that you're actually going to split it with me? A promise is a promise. Isn't that a great scene? It's even better that it's true. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit as we go through the message, some of the details of the true story, because it's actually better than the movie. Um, for one, uh, that whole incident in real life happened on April Fool's Day. 
So when he shows up, she thinks he's playing a prank on her, and she's like, that's not funny. I really need that money. Don't mess with me. But maybe we feel a little bit like that about God, you know? Maybe God is a little bit like that offer, that lottery ticket, you know? If there really is a loving God who has a gift for us, who's offering us something bigger and better than anything we could acquire for ourselves, it can feel a little bit like a joke, right? And the challenge to believe that there really is a God who loves us, who is calling us into relationship with him, can feel like this, we can feel like this woman who's sitting there, I wanna believe that, but I'm afraid of looking like a fool. And we're going to look at a moment right now where Jesus, sitting with this woman by a well, tries to share with her the best news she's ever heard, that she is sitting on the greatest lottery ticket the world has ever seen. I want to open up this moment to you. It's in John chapter 4. Jesus is sitting by a well, and this woman comes to draw water to the well, and he asks her for a drink. But the conversation quickly moves from water to something more significant. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drunk from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have, or you now have, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, I love this moment because it gives us a picture of what God is like. When you think of God, what comes to mind for you? But in this moment, we get this picture of God being like a police officer coming to offer us a winning lottery ticket. And just like that waitress, this woman struggles to believe that what he's offering is really true. And I love that moment of choice in the video clip, right? He's like, okay, you can have the tip or you can have the lottery ticket. Which is it? And I think that's a lot like our life. We can either settle for the tip, which is the sure thing, the easy thing to believe, that what you get out of this life is what you can see, touch, and feel, what you can earn for yourself. That's the tip. But Jesus, in this passage, is inviting us to believe that if we're willing to open our eyes, we are all sitting on a winning lottery ticket, but we have to make a choice in life. And we're going to see what that choice looks like for this woman. And my hope is that this morning you'll see what that choice is for you. Because Jesus wants to bring us into his eternal life. Um, and now, if you won the lottery, what do you think would be the first two questions that you would need to answer? In fact, this morning, someone told you, you just won the lottery. What would you need to answer? Number one, you'd probably want to know, how much did I win, right? Because there's a big difference between, you know, winning the lottery. Yes, you won 10 bucks. You're like... Okay, great. I think I'll go out and get a burrito. Yes. Life game changer, right? Or, right, like in this scene, $4 million. Big difference. So you'd want to know how much you won. What's the gift? Number two, um, you'd want to know 
how to get the money, how to claim it, right? So if, if right now you won the lottery, how would you claim that money? Do you have the number in your Insta dial right now? Would you know right at this moment, if you won the lottery, uh, where to claim your prize? And that kind of brings us to the giver. And how do we claim um, this gift of God that Jesus is talking about? We need to know the giver. So these two things, Jesus draws us in with two questions. Look at verse 10. He says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So these two questions, what is the gift and who is the giver? And I want to start with the, the gift. What is exactly that Jesus is talking about? What is the gift of God? For us, if you're not a Christian, maybe you, you don't know the answer at all. But for others of us, as believers, we sometimes forget the gift and we lose perspective. Did you know this? That every year there are millions of dollars in unclaimed lottery wins. Okay, last May, there was a $1.6 million jackpot win. No one claimed it, right? No one claimed it. Can you imagine having the witty lottery ticket and you threw it away or you lost it? Have you ever lost a check or a gift card? How about a gift card for like $1.6 million? But as believers, we can find ourselves in that place. We can actually forget the gift of God. So let's talk about it. What is the gift? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Now that's a really important metaphor, this metaphor of thirst that Jesus leans into. At first he's talking about literal thirst, the real areas of thirst in our life, physical, emotional, but then as we'll see, he leads us um, to the spiritual thirst. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. What a provocative invitation. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, there it is. That is kind of really the answer to the gift. The gift that he's talking about is eternal life. But have you ever been offered a gift that was so big you had trouble believing it? Right? You didn't know how to react in the moment? Maybe you felt embarrassed. Maybe you were just like, is this for real? Okay, so that when the waitress hears that she's won the lottery, she's not instantly like, yes, I won. She's like, no, wait, really? No, she just stands there stunned. Then she goes from stunned to like, kind of, did you see it? A little bit angry. A little bit like, don't play with me. Don't joke around with me. Sometimes when we're sharing our faith with non-believers, we get that reaction. We don't realize it, but that's what it is. They get a little upset. They get a little offended. When I first shared my faith with my dad, his reaction was, I don't want to hear about God. Don't ever tell me about Jesus again. Now, he would live to regret that and later um, come to faith. But in the moment, in the moment, he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. A little bit like the gift of waking somebody up in the morning when they don't want to be woken up, but they need to get to school or to work on time. Are you with me? You know, who loves, I mean, when you are asleep and the room is dark and someone flips the lights on, who's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you turned the lights on. <laughs> we kind of resent it. But it's a gift that we need. Sometimes it's too big. Sometimes it just comes at a moment we're not expecting it. And like the waitress we can kind of get, we can find people getting upset, but what if deep down they're not really offended by you, 
They just don't want to be played the fool. Because I believe that deep down in every human heart, there is a longing to know their maker, their creator, God. We'll talk about that. But have you ever been offered a gift so big you didn't know what to do? I remember one time we were, my wife and I were praying for 10 years for a home. Some of you know this story. And um, we just couldn't afford it. We just hadn't, didn't have the money. So I was about to just tell my wife, it's over, we're done, let's just let it go. And uh, a friend of ours said, hey, my, my wife and I want to go 50-50 with you and help you buy a home. And you would think at that moment, I would be like, jackpot, I just won the lottery. But I wasn't. At first, I was like her, like the waitress, like, really? No, no, I can't receive that. No, 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 you're kidding. And we played this little game, no, yes, no, yes. Like when you're trying to cover the tip, no, I got it. No, you got it. No, I got it. And you play that game. But then there was, I can't live in, no, I can't receive such a generous gift. It took us three months to say yes to that offer. Three months. Maybe just afraid that it would go wrong. Maybe it it would ruin our friendship, all kinds of things. But nine years later, I'm glad we said yes. And I got to tell you, the same can be true with God, this offer of eternal life, which is why Jesus takes her by the hand, and he doesn't just come right out and say, I want to give you eternal life. He comes in through the back door and starts talking about living water, about water first. And right here in verse 14, he drops the bomb. So Jesus brings the woman slowly, but in verse 14, he drops the bomb, and he says, eternal life. He says, I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about something more. And in the same way, God comes to us in our life. He wants to bring eternal life to every one of us, but he knows, like that waitress, we're not going to necessarily believe it even when it's right in front of us. We might freak out. How do I know this is real? How do I know this is true? What if if this is all just a facade and I'm being fooled? And so God approaches us gently and kindly. He approaches us, A, through the people that he puts in our life. He puts people, friends, family members, close to us. This woman, this waitress, had known this officer for a couple years. He went to that diner every single week. In the same way, God uses people in our life to share his love with us. Maybe it's a little annoying at first, like someone trying to wake us up in the morning when we don't want to get woken up, and they're that nagging person inviting us to church. I had a college student one time um, start to get discouraged. He invited his roommate a few times throughout an entire year, and every time his roommate said no. And he's like, you know, bro, maybe I should give up. I don't want to annoy my roommate. I go, bro, are you asking him every day? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, I don't know, every couple months. Then don't give up. Every couple months is not that harassing. Just keep inviting him. The beginning of the fall of the second year, he asked his roommate again, hey, you want to come? And to his surprise, his roommate came. That night, his friend gave his life to Jesus because it happened to be the anniversary of his mother's death. And he needed to be filled with God's presence and comfort. His roommate, who was inviting him, didn't know that. But in the same way, God comes to us, inviting us, drawing us. Sometimes God wants to wake us up and draw us to him through the good gifts that he puts in our life, the love of our spouse or a friend, a great moment with teammates or Another moment we experience the beauty of life. These moments wake us up to God's gift. The gift that maybe at first we won't believe until he gets us close enough to believe. I want to talk about eternal life for a minute because every good gift in our life is meant to awaken us to the gift of God's eternal life. 
that he offers through his son, Jesus. So what does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, first, Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. So first, Jesus doesn't present eternal life as an achievement for being a moral person. Now, this is so different than any other religious system. Go do the research. If you go look in every religion, you will find that eternal life or the notion of life after death is the reward for living a standard of morality that earns you, entitles you to that gift. It is a reward, a wage for your hard-earned effort of living a good life. But Jesus puts it in entirely different terms. He's like, eternal life is not something you earn. Eternal life is what happens when you are restored to relationship. It's not something that you go out and achieve. It's something you experience. And he first describes it as a qualitative experience of overflowing fulfillment. It's not a one-time experience that fades, but he describes it as an overflowing experience of joy and peace. The Bible says this about, eternal, about eternity. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that he, God, has also set eternity in the human heart. And so the way the Bible understands human nature is that in your heart is a longing for eternity. And it's that thirst for eternity that we try to fill with all kinds of things in life when we don't know God, when we don't have relationship with God. It's like trying to satisfy your thirst with a can of Coca-Cola. Hey, it feels good right away, but it only makes you thirstier. It's like, I'm so thirsty. You know what I need right now? It's a big cup of coffee. Like, hey, it's liquid. There's water in it, but somehow it's just making me thirstier. There is inside of every human being a longing for eternity, which is why Jesus gets to the next point about where eternity comes from and that longing in the human heart to be filled and satisfied with meaning, significance, and purpose in life. Jesus says this about eternal life. Secondly, he teaches that eternal life comes from being in relationship with God. Look at this in John 17, 3. Now, this is eternal life, that you are an amazing person and you earn your way to heaven. That's what I was talking about earlier. Look at the way he frames it. This is really special. He goes, that you know, that I'm sorry, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, here's the thing. Check this out. Jesus is essentially anchoring our lives and the significance and reality of our life in a relational context. He's saying fundamentally, irreducibly, human beings were made for relationship. And we feel that, right? Like, even when you're, you're you win the soccer game, or you get your favorite gift at Christmas, or you've got your career that's making you all the money you ever hoped for, but when your closest relationships are off, nothing else seems to quite fit right. Have you ever experienced that? You've got all the material things, but when your relationships with the people closest to you are not right, nothing else quite fills that space. You could have a beautiful home, but if your child has been kidnapped, or your, or your loved one is suffering, it just kind of makes all those possessions lose their luster. And that's because deep down, as human beings, we're made for relationship. But even deeper, we're made for relationship with God. And this is the deepest thirst of the human heart, to be in relationship with God. And it's where eternal life comes from. When we come into relationship with God, 
his life begins to spill into our life. So when God isn't the center of our life, we're left with a huge emptiness inside of us, right? It's like that feeling when a friend is gone for vacation and you're all alone without your closest friends on vacation or your spouse leaves on a trip and you just miss them or when your kid goes to college, you've been with them every day of their life and now they're gone and you just feel that ache inside. That ache, that thirst finds expression in life in so many different ways. It is the ache for God, the ache to be close to God, to, be, to have him filling our life that perpetual restlessness and thirst to fill the emptiness with other things is what then Jesus is talking about when he talks to the woman about the men in her life. Let's talk about that for a minute because this is where Jesus shifts gears and gets really personal right here. Um, There's this moment where Jesus gently addresses the woman's past relationships. I don't know if you noticed that. He's like, I got this living water. She's like, I want it. And rather than say, okay, here it is. I'm I'm the Messiah. Believe in me. He doesn't do that. Instead of right there telling him who he is, or telling her who he is, he says, go get your husband. Why does he do that? In the moment, it looks like what Jesus is saying is, you need to face up to how bad of a person you are. I need you to face all your failures, and you need to, these are barriers between you and God. Look at all the failures of your life. It looks like a moment where Jesus is shaming, condemning, or embarrassing her, and sometimes that's our view of God. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. In this moment, he's not condemning her or judging her, but he is bringing to light her unsatisfied longing, the ways in which she's trying to fill her life without God. And I want to ask you right now where that is for you. Are there areas of spiritual thirst in your life where you are trying to fill your life again and again, and it keeps leaving you empty, disappointed, and it's gnawing at you? And there are those of us in this room right now We know that thirst, and it's eating us away inside. And we're just hoping something is going to satisfy that. And so I remember when I was um, in college, I, I, you know, I dated a lot. But there was a moment where I broke up with this one girl, and um, it just wrecked me. It made me feel like, I don't know if I can keep going on. And uh, I felt really kind of like, not just like a day of sadness. That would be normal, all right? That's healthy. You break up, you're a little sad. That's cool. This is like three weeks later, I'm still carrying this around. And I'm feeling like there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with my life because of the loss of that dating relationship. And then it dawned on me, maybe it's not about the girl. Hey, she was cool and all, but, you know, the relationship wasn't that amazing. Maybe this is actually about something in my heart, something I'm trying to get from the relationship, and I need to get right with God. And that led me to start seeing a counselor where that counselor started to help me get in touch with some of the pain in my life that I was trying to just fill up over here and over there. Another example is I was ministering to a student who, after going through a breakup, painful breakup, uh, he wanted to take his life. Just this year, walking with a man who lost his job, wanting to take his life. These are the ways in which we have this deep thirst for permanence, for fulfillment for peace, and we try to grab a hold of it in the things that we can touch, the tip, right? The immediate thing. Our careers, our, our performance on the sports field, our degrees, our, our friends, our girlfriend. But when those things don't measure up, we can feel hopeless and discouraged. That's where she's at, and Jesus wants to speak to that deep thirst in her soul. What is that for you? Sometimes 
It comes up for us when we feel stuck and we long for a breakthrough or we feel stress that overwhelms us and we long for peace. Or how about this, when we see the evil in the world and we just long for things to be made right. These are the things that bring up that spiritual thirst. Now here's the thing that Jesus is saying. In the same way our thirst is meant to lead us to water, in the same way our longings are meant to lead us to God. And that's what Jesus is doing with this woman and he wants to do with you. To help you get in touch with that thirst of soul so that you bring it to him and allow a relationship with God to take center stage in your life. Okay, so that's the gift. That's eternal life. I want to talk a little bit about the giver. Verse 10, Jesus says this. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, what does it mean to know the giver? So he's kind of being coy with her. You're like, if you only knew. He's kind of baiting her and drawing her in with curiosity and interest. I love that about Jesus, right? He doesn't come right out of the gate and say, hey, you're going to hell. You know, hey, you're, you have sin in your life. Hey, you're a pretty broken, messed up person. He kind of draws her by tapping into her natural felt needs and her longings and helping her to see those needs as an echo of her soul thirst for him. And then he says, hey, if you only knew this person, and he refers to himself in the third person, kind of drawing around, well, who is that person? Well, he's talking about himself. To know God's gift of eternal life, we need to know who Jesus is. And I want to highlight two ways of knowing Jesus, all right? Just two ways that we can come to know the reality of Jesus, all right? So the first is knowing Jesus as a historical person. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus actually is a real historical person, and um, there's more evidence to support the reality of Jesus, and it takes more faith to doubt the reality of who he is. I know, maybe you're not convinced. Give me a chance. Let me show you. Number one, I'll start with my first argument is this, that there are many mentions of the person of Jesus in ancient historical records by historians who are not believers, right? You can expect believers to mention Jesus, right? Because they're his fans. But how about Pliny, Tacitus, Josephus, historians, who some of which lived at the time of Jesus, don't, know, don't believe in him, and yet acknowledge his reality? Multiple historical sources. Number two, all of the historical records of Jesus' life, I don't know if you knew this, were um, based on eyewitness accounts from when he was alive. So when they were written... They were written at a time when the people who actually were a part of these moments could have corroborated and contradicted the stories. They could have said, that didn't happen. He never walked on water. That, you know, that never happened. He didn't raise my son from the dead. These stories were written when the eyewitnesses were alive. Within 10 years of his death, and we believe his resurrection, they were written. At least the first one, the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's my favorite one, the third. If you're not convinced, here, hold on, look at this one right here. For the historical record, um, here's an interesting fact. There are, one of the biggest reasons people don't want to believe in the Bible is because, well, how do you know it's all consistent and true? What if people have just made a bunch of stuff up and, you know, changed the Bible throughout the hundreds of years of its existence? First, there are over 5,686 manuscripts of the New Testament the New Testament is like everyone from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all the way up through Revelation, right? But in particular, the four Gospels, 
the biography of Jesus. 5,686. Now you're thinking, big deal. What does that mean? Well, let me put that against other ancient documents. We only have, look at this, seven copies of writings of Plato. Seven copies. Ancient manuscripts. Yet, I bet no one here would say, I don't know if that Plato guy was real. I think he was just made up. Or how about Caesar? Right here. Look at Caesar down here. Caesar, how many ancient manuscripts corroborating his existence? Ten. Ten ancient documents corroborating his existence. Okay, that's, that's compelling. You go to Aristotle. This guy really hits a home run. Look at this guy. Aristotle. Documents corroborating his existence. Forty-nine ancient documents. That's pretty significant. But then make the jump to the New Testament corroborating Jesus. We have 5,686. Now, what's really cool about this is that when you take those documents, those historical documents, you can say, say hey, was the gospel being changed? Were people changing the story and adding on things as it was written? And they can compare them to see its validity, its historicity, and its consistency. Look at this, 99.5% accuracy in those copies and continuity between them. I mean, that's incredible. So it's so compelling that this non-Christian professor makes this point. He says this. Let's go to Eric Myers, professor in Judaic studies at Duke University. I don't know any mainstream scholar who doubts the historicity of Jesus. So here's the point. Jesus was a real person. And sometimes we just go, ah, who, who knows if they even existed? No, 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 no. If you go that way, you are literally on shake your ground than if you tried to, to say, I don't think Plato or Aristotle or Caesar were real. See, at that point, it's not rational, it's emotional. And maybe like the waitress, you're kind of afraid to believe that maybe this Jesus guy really is real. But the harder and the most important thing about knowing Jesus is not just knowing him as a historical figure, it's knowing him personally. This is like the last thing I want to say. Now, here we're going to get personal for a minute. I want to talk about how do you know if Jesus is real, right? Like, you can hear stories, you can read about him. Okay, he's a real guy, but was he really who he claimed to be? Well, I had kids come up to me every Sunday, and they look at all the lollipops, and I tell them, hey, I want you to eat the best, I want you to find the best one, and the only way is to try them out and taste them. And they just sit there kind of stunned. Hey, let's start with this one. And if you like it, Great, try the next one and the next one. The best way to know if God is real is to try him out and test drive God. And that's what Jesus is inviting this woman to do. Don't just believe in what you've heard. I want you to try my living water. The question is, how do you try out God? It says in the Bible, taste and see that I am good. Well, actually it says that the Lord, but he's talking about himself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you taste God? How do you try him out? That's what I want to talk about. Because how do you know he's real unless you taste the reality of God? So number two, knowing Jesus as risen Savior. In verse 10, Jesus says this. How do you know if he's real? You would have asked him. He's talking about himself. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now right there, it looks really simple. But let's address the simplicity and the difficulty of it, ask him. When you ask God 
God, show yourself to me. God, reveal yourself to me. God, I don't know if I believe with this preacher or my friend or my spouse or my teammate. I want to know you for myself. When I had a friend in high school sharing the gospel with me, sharing Jesus. I didn't know if I believed this whole thing. But I thought to myself, if this is real, it would be a game changer. God, if you're real, then everything changes. So I might as well really give it a try. This is how I approached it. So I would listen to my friend's arguments. I looked at the Bible with them. But there came a moment with all the Bible reading. He helped me get through some of my intellectual barriers. But there came a moment where I just had to know, Jesus, are you really real? Even if you are real, I need to know that you're real to me. Because the rest of my life is, I'm having too much fun. I got to know that you're better than these other things. And not just because someone said so. That's what I'm talking about. So I started to pray. I started to ask him, Jesus, would you show yourself to me? So number one, how do we ask Jesus? We, we pray. We say, Jesus, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, would you show yourself to me? Number one, God, show yourself to me. It says in the Bible, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. There's something about asking God because it opens our heart to what he wants to show us. See, asking is the way we open the door for God to show himself to us. If you never open the door, you're never going to see. I'll give you an example. Um, I had gone through a, that painful breakup, and so I started seeing a counselor, right? And she just helped me through some of this pain and grief I had in my life. And I was starting to see how I was, try, I was putting all this expectation on these relationships. My parents had gone through a painful divorce, and I was afraid that at some point I was going to go have to go, I was going to, you know, marry someone, and it was going to end in painful breakup. And I was like, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of intimacy. I'm afraid of closeness. It didn't work for my parents. I don't know about me. I just want to stay away from it. And I'm putting too much expectation on these relationships and um, too much fear, too much anxiety. And uh, so she was helping me through it. At one point, I was sharing with her about this cute girl that I liked, that we had been friends for a while. And you wouldn't think this, but this is what she said. She was like, you should ask her out. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I thought you were helping me just get away from all that. And she's like, no, Ryan, you're not trying to get away from getting to know a woman. You're trying to change your expectations. It doesn't have to be you're going to get married. It doesn't have to mean everything. Just get to know her and let her get to know you. So I did. I went up and I just brought her a Valentine's as a fun joke. And she got kind of all uncomfortable. And then she kind of sh you know, shut it down, got a little awkward. And so then I went home and told my roommate, I am never asking that girl out, ever. And then that girl called me up. And she said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little awkward about that. I'm, I just don't want to get into another relationship. You know, I'm afraid of dating. And I go, dating? Who said anything about dating? But hey, you know, if, if you're interested, I'm open to it. <laughs> and that gal and I started going out and hanging out and getting to know each other. And eventually she became my wife, ironically. I had been through some painful stuff and I was afraid to step out. I didn't want to be the fool. When it comes to God, there's a fear that we're going to be the fool if we start praying to God, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. But when you start to open up your heart by asking God to show himself, number two, to help you in some area of life where you need help. If there's some area in your life where there is a thirst that you can't fill, a problem you can't solve, a place of anxiety you just can't seem to get free from, a conflict in a relationship you can't seem to mend, I want to encourage you, reach out to God and start to pray and say, God, would you help me in this? 
God, would you show me what to do? And if you're really bold, you'll ask a friend who's a believer to pray with you. That's when you're getting serious. And really put God to the test and see what happens. I was dating that gal for a long time, and it got really serious and to the point where we thought we might get married. I started having panic attacks, like full-blown. Ever had a panic attack? It's like the worst feeling, right? You don't even know what's happening. You think you're having a heart attack or something. And I would have these cold sweats. I'd be on the ground. My, my roommates would be like, whoa, what's going on with this guy? And it's because things were getting so serious. It was scaring me. And I, at every time I went through a panic attack, I wanted to break up with her. And finally, my roommate goes, bro, you just need to know God is with you. You need to know if this is from God or not. Now, can't that be even more stressful? Oh, my gosh, is this from God? But I realized I hadn't yet asked God, what do you think about this religion? Not once. Think about it. For eight months we've been dating. I never asked God. I was too afraid. So that day, no joke, I walked upstairs and I just prayed. I said, God, I'm just struggling. I'm afraid. We get along, but how can I really know what's going to happen 20 years from now? And I just prayed, God, would you show me how you feel about this relationship? And in that moment, I got an image. Now, I don't get this very often, but I got this picture in my mind of being at the altar. It was like in a flash. I'm at the altar, and the doors were opening, and I see Jesus with my wife, and he's walking her down. And as he walks her down the aisle, he walks up to me, and there's just this beam of joy. And I'm just literally in this moment, I can't explain it, just filled to overflowing with God's love for me and for her and for what's happening between us. I just did a wedding yesterday with a guy who had a similar pain in his past in relationships. He had gone through a divorce, and it was painful. And he didn't know if he could commit to this relationship. He's like, Ryan, I don't know. I don't want to go through that pain again. I go, have you asked God? So this guy was so serious about hearing from God, he just, he fasted. It didn't earn God's voice, but it cleared the debt. God, I don't, I don't want all the distractions out of my life. I just want to hear from you. He fasted for three days. And after praying and asking God to clarify from him, he felt God's presence and blessing on that relationship. And I just did the wedding for him yesterday. And I asked him, Is there, do you have any doubt? And he goes, not an ounce of doubt in my heart to be with this person. I want to invite you right now to think about where is that thirst in your life? How do you know if Jesus is real? You ask him. Show yourself. Are you real? Show yourself. Bring your thirst to him. The Bible says, ask, you shall receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. When you start to ask, it's a step of faith, and that step of faith prepares you for the next step, and the next step is knowing what to do when God shows up, because when he shows up, he's going to turn your world upside down, and then you're going to have a real challenge. Now that you know he's real, now that you know he's pursuing you, you're going to have to deal with him and what you're going to do about it, and like that waitress, if you're willing to go for the lottery ticket and not settle for the tip. I want to invite the band to come out. As the band comes out, I want to read to you a scripture. It says this in scripture, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You guys listen to this. After three days of no water, guess what happens? You die. Three days. That's crazy. 40 to 70 days with no food, 
and you, you will die. But Jesus came to say, listen, after 79 years of life, which is the average lifespan of a human being today in America, if you live without God, you will die. And he came to say, forever. So that we would know what is at stake. See, if you don't have water, and Jesus picks water because if you don't have water, you can't live. And Jesus, in the same way, leverages that fact that you and I know to say that if you are living without God and you continue to live without him, that separation becomes permanent. And the Bible calls that spiritual death. It uses different words like hell to describe the agony, the, the discomfort, the thirst of living without God forever. As we go into this song, I want to read to you John eleven twenty six 26 from Jesus. He said this, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I want to encourage you right now, where is that thirst for you that Jesus is inviting you to bring to him? Right now. What does that look like for you? For some of you, if you're a believer, it's remembering that God has a gift for you in every area of your life. If you're not a believer, maybe it means open your life to him as Savior. Let's go into this song. Right now, I just want to invite you to take whatever posture you want to take. If you want to sit and reflect, just sit and ask the Lord. But if you want to stand and you want to proclaim, you can do that as well. metaphor of water is so powerful because I think we can all relate to how much we need water. My daughter, um, this last year, I had a scary moment with her. Uh, I was getting ready to take her to school, and all of a sudden I hear this weird crash in the kitchen, and I walk over and I find her on her back on the ground. She fell straight back, hit her head, and was unconscious. Her eyes kind of fluttering, and it scared us. We didn't know why she passed out. She just hit the ground. And we took her to the hospital, and we ended up getting her some tests. And after all the tests and all the doctor appointments, it turns out she was dehydrated. She was doing 
uh, track. She was running. She was running track, playing soccer. She wasn't hydrating. She had run out of electrolytes, and she passed out. She didn't die. She passed out. I'll tell you, it scared me. But it's a perfect metaphor of what we experience in this life. We experience moments where we hit rock bottom when we're trying to live without God, and we try to find that solution. Like in other things, see, my daughter hadn't, didn't, wasn't aware of her thirst. She was so busy going from sport to sport and to class, she wasn't paying attention to her thirst. And in the same way we get so busy, we ignore our soul. And we don't know why we're constantly being nagged with that anxiety or that worry or that restlessness. We don't know why that somebody keeps inviting us again and again to church or into spiritual conversation, we just think they're kind of annoying. But what if in it, it is God's way of waking us up to our thirst for him? Stirring us, shaking us to draw us to him. Jesus said this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's really that simple. Jesus died on the cross and his body was torn apart so that he could pour out his life on us. And anyone who believes in him receives his life-giving spirit. So that police officer had to take his lottery ticket and literally split it in half in order for her to get what was coming to her. And then for God to give us what we desperately need, his life, he had to let his body be broken to pour out that gift. Where do you hear a message like that? It's not a message of judgment and condemnation. It's a message of pursuing love. Yeah, there is, there is a reality that if you go without water, you're gonna die. And if you go without God, you will die. And yeah, it could be forever. That's hard to hear. But that's why Jesus went to the lengths that he did. So that if you will draw near to God, you will experience God's living water filling your life. And all you have to do is call on him. Right here, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus, your Lord, I need you. And I just think for some of us as believers, there are these areas of our life where if we're honest, we haven't had faith. We had faith for God at church. We had faith for our salvation, but not faith for our marriage. Maybe not faith for our health, not faith in our career. There are areas of our life where God is bringing us to that place of thirst to draw us to him so that we can open up our lives to him so he can bring his good gifts to our life. The thirst isn't meant to kill us. It's meant to make us thirsty for what he has to give. But we lose faith in the gift. And so if you have an area of thirst in your life that you want to bring to God today, you say, God, I need your help here. I want to invite you to raise your hand right now as an act of faith. It's, it's a humbling thing to say, God, I need you. To say, I don't, have it all, I don't have it all by myself. As you put your hand up, there are those of us who need to join you. So keep your hand up for a minute. I see you guys in the way back. If you've never accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, but this morning you want to declare, Jesus, I want to open my life to you. I want to know if you're real. I want your help. I want to be filled with your living water, whatever that is. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to invite you right now, wherever you're at, put your hand up and join these guys. Let's put our hands up together. Is there anybody else that needs to take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I want to know if you're real. 
All right, you guys, you guys put your hands up real high, just for a second. If you see a hand up, if you're next to them, look around, look around. Would you put a hand on their shoulder for a second? We're gonna pray for you. That hand on your shoulder is a sign of God's hand on your life. And that's what we're here for as a church, to help put one another in touch with the living presence of God in our life. What, I want you, if you raise your hand, pray these words with me. It's really simple. Pray it out loud, all right? Here we go. Jesus. Okay, we're gonna, okay, let's try that again. Let's try that again. Uh, Jesus. I need your help. Fill me with your spirit. Where I need it, forgive me for trying to fill my thirst with other things beside you. Fill my soul with your love, with your truth, and with your spirit. I need your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give a round of applause for these guys just praying like that. Hey guys, before we go, I want you to understand that a simple act of faith is like opening the door. That day that my wife opened the door, it made our relationship possible, but it still required some nurturing. It's like that with God. It took a little faith for that waitress to say, okay, I'm willing to believe that maybe what you're saying is true. If you raise your hand, take a next step, and that is share with one person today why you raised your hand, what it means for you. And we have a prayer team that's up here that's ready to pray with you. Up here in the front, can I get Terry? Come on up. Do you mind just praying for a minute up here? And yeah, thanks, my man. We got a team up here ready to pray with people. Come up to the front. Let us pray for you if there's something that's going on in your life and you need the help of God. Otherwise, if you are taking a step towards Jesus, I want to know, would you please come grab me after service? I'll be outside with my bag of lollipops. I want to meet you. I want to hear what God's doing in your life. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. You guys have a great week.